This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Well, the topic which is on the mind of President Obama has to do with China and carbon dioxide emissions. The recently finished report by the United Nations has taken a harsher tone than in past reports, and it is one that will grab your attention as well. Joining us to discuss what has been put out and uh, what needs to be done, we're joined by Jacques Delisle, who is a professor of law and professor of political science, as well as the director for uh, the Center for East Asian Studies here at the University of Pennsylvania. Also with us, Barry Leffer, who is associate professor, Department of Earth and At- Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Houston. Gentlemen, great to have both of you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Barry, you're in Houston, so I'll start with you there. That is the home of oil, and obviously that's part of what we're talking about here. Uh, Has this report drawn any reaction from the oil community, or have they dismissed it to some degree? The IPCC has been saying a similar message for for several years now. Uh, This is, as you pointed out, a little harsher and more direct, but I think the oil companies were not surprised by this report. Shock, the, the when it is brought up, China is obviously one of the countries that is first thought of because of uh, because of their reliance on a lot of these fossil fuels, including coal. Uh, is China the biggest concern right now in this area in the earth? Well, it's the number one emitter of greenhouse gases now, yeah. carbon dioxide specifically. It's passed the U.S. in that regard. So in that sense, I guess you could say it is the single biggest issue. Uh, but really the question is whether the U.S. and China, who are the two biggest emitters as well as the two biggest economies, can get together and lead on this. If they yeah. can't, then much of the rest of the world is not going to be terribly interested in, in doing much. Uh, Europe's done a lot, but it's just Europe. And part of this is the manufacturing sector uh, over in China doing this, correct? That's a big part of it. I mean, yeah. And China for, long, for a long time has said that much of the pollution that occurs in China, including greenhouse gases, is for manufacturing for goods that are exported to the rest of the world. So it should, in some sense, be billed to us. But that's really changed as China's economy has become more domestic consumption-focused. And half of their emissions now are coal-fired power plants primarily. So it's really the energy sector, some of which goes into manufacturing, but a lot of which is for domestic consumption by an increasingly affluent population. Barry, we talked a little bit about the change in terms of the the philosophy uh, of the report, uh, that it is a little bit more... Uh, straightforward in terms of the the potential problems that are out there. Maybe you can go into exactly what the the IPCC put together in their report uh, that has drawn so much more attention this time than in, than in prior times. Yeah, they've they've really gone out to say that the atmosphere has warmed, the ocean has warmed, the amount of snow and ice has decreased on the planet, sea level has risen, and that. This is due, at least since the 1950s, to human activity. So they've really kind of shut the door on there being any scientific debate about uh, that these impacts are are happening and that they're due to human activities. And the the report that I saw said that probably by uh, by 2100 is if nothing were to change, that's when the the most severe effects would be felt. Correct and. It seems like right now we're doing this experiment on the planet where we're, we're going through this 
option where we're going to we're sort of testing the theory. What are the costs of doing nothing? Mm-hmm. What, and, uh, for the past 30, 40 years, we've sort of been aware of this problem, but now the scientists are are raising the alarm a little bit more strongly. Well, and, and as you mentioned, you know, the last 30, 40 years, it really has been uh, kind of an, a, an amazing thing to watch. But, 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 Jacques, obviously for China, especially in the last decade or so, the growth that that country has seen has been phenomenal. And, and obviously it, it's an interesting dichotomy in some respects for them having this much success, but having it in, in some cases in the ways that they're having it. Yeah, and the, the growth rate has been phenomenal. It's been double digit uh, for many of the years, the last couple decades and more. It's slowed down recently, yeah. uh, and that's partly by policy choice. It's partly by circumstances. Uh, but you know, one of the things you have is you have a growing middle class in China. People are consuming more energy intensive things. I mean, yeah. China has a plan to do some carbon trading, has plans to reduce the energy intensity of its economy. Uh, they've got all sorts of good domestic reasons to worry about it. I mean, in addition to being a country that is particularly vulnerable to climate change, given the storms in southeast China and the droughts in the north and so on, in addition to that, they have a near-term problem in that those same pollutants that contribute to global warming are literally choking people in the short term in (laughs) Chinese cities, and that's a political as well as an economic problem. Well, and China says that it's developing a plan. Uh, I guess the question is, what type of a plan? What are we hearing? Uh, and how much of an effect could this particular plan have? Or do they are they going to need to go uh, further beyond that? Well, there are a bunch of pieces to it. So they have been already experimenting at five cities and two provinces with a carbon trading and capping type system, the kind of thing that's pretty much stalled in the U.S. legislative system. Uh, scaling it up is going to be a challenge. Yeah. And when you try to put in these kinds of things in China, there's lots of room for game playing and corruption and manipulation. So there's going to be a question of how the things that they've said they're going to do will actually play out in practice. Uh, but in terms of their engagement with global standards, I mean, the jury's still out on that. China has started to talk a more cooperative game, but their position has long been that the rich countries got rich while polluting. Uh, and so China shouldn't be denied its bite at that apple, uh, or at the very least, if China is to be restrained, it, need, it and other developing countries need technology transfer and things like that. Now, China's been very, very big in alternative energy, lots of solar, lots of wind. But the growth in demand is so fast, and lots of nuclear too, that they just can't keep up with it in the near term without relying still on fossil fuels. They've got a lot of coal. It's dirty coal. It's a bad scene. And and when you have a country as as big as China is uh, and and continues to grow in terms of the number of people in that country, uh, you know, the energy level. As you said, there is no way to keep up, is there? It's tough. And the ability for the world to put pressure on them is fairly limited. I mean, sure. the U.S. is the other big emitter. And they're, they're saying, you know, what are you going to do? What we do, yeah. what we do in China depends on what you're going to do in the U.S. is the constant refrain. And if you look around the rest of the BRICS, there's not a lot of leadership. I mean, Russia's pretty close to being a climate change denier and is an exporter of fossil fuels. Yeah. India claims, you know, with some, some justification that it's behind China on the growth curve. So why should it start restricting? Brazil's been better on it, but that's one out out of the big four. And and so China's got a lot of cover from the lack of of progress on the U.S. side and the fact that the other big bricks aren't doing much either, except for Brazil. But but also, go ahead, Barry. Dan and Jack, I wouldn't underplay the the air pollution, the local air pollution. It's quite bad if you've ever been in the the middle class um, are, are not expecting to be breathing such polluted air anymore. Yeah, I was going to ask you because that that's the reports that we see from all over there is that uh, there are times where kids can't even go outside to play uh, because of the fact that the air is so bad over there, Barry. Yeah, and they shut down a bunch of factories this week for the big meeting. 
Um, like they did for the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Blue skies just broke out all over. Amazing how that happens, isn't it? Uh, but but the United States has obviously tried to make changes, Barry, and uh, in a lot of cases are doing doing very much better. Uh, but but there's still even work to be done here in the United States. There, there is. Uh, so I've been studying air pollution in Houston for ten years, and the great news is it's gotten cleaner every year. Yeah. But we still have ten or so days a year we're above the EPA limits, which which is uh, nine too many, essentially. So we, um, we shouldn't downplay the progress, but there are some serious health effects uh, related to air pollution still happening in the United States. Well, be, being the age that I am in my, my, my later 40s, uh, I obviously have vivid memories of, of the days back in the 70s where you know, you could, uh, you'd see the, the video taken on and shown on TV of the smog in L.A. or New York yeah. Uh, you know, and my mom's family is from Pittsburgh, and with all the coal mines out there, I mean, it was really bad then. Obviously, it has gotten better, but still, uh, what is the biggest concern here in the United States in terms of trying to clean up the air? Well, the good news is is that uh, we're doing a great job um, cleaning up the power plants. I think switching from coal to natural gas has had a big impact on air quality and fossil fuel emissions. So I think the focus should be on energy efficiency and sort of these win-win opportunities when we can reduce our climate impact and we can also clean up the air. Jacques, how how tough would it be now for China to make these type of changes? Because as you mentioned, so many plants are, are based on, on coal burning. Uh, that would seem to be a process that would take a few years for them to be able to kind of convert over to more natural gas. It's going to take a long time. I mean, and the end is not in sight. Yeah. The, the agenda now is to reduce the rate at which coal plants are being built yeah. uh, and to make them cleaner. Uh, but, you know, that's their domestic uh, source of, of electric power. It's, it's cheap. It's available there. It's polluting. Uh, you know, China is doing alternative energy as fast as it can, but it yeah. just you can't scale up current alternative energy at the pace that's necessary to take a big bite out of Chinese demand. They're doing nuclear, they're doing wind, they're doing solar. Yeah. Uh, they'd like to do natural gas, but they don't have as much of that. We'd have to get into the transporting liquid gas. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a huge, huge demand, and there's not a great way to cut back on it. So what they're trying to do is reduce point pollution, shift somewhat from coal, and to reduce the energy intensity of the economy so they get more GDP per ton of greenhouse gases, basically. Part of all of this as well is the relationship between China and the United States. States, which obviously is, is another big topic because of uh, the hesitancy, uneasiness, however you want to phrase it, of China towards the United States. Yeah. I mean, the, if you are trying to pull China in the direction that Obama would like to pull China in terms of greater cooperation on on emissions of, of climate change uh, causing gases and such. Um, yeah, we've been working at that for a while. It's been in the strategic and economic dialogue. There's been really since uh, about 2009 or so a, a cooperation on clean energy research. There's a lot of that kind of uh, technical exchange yeah. uh, and some tech transfer and a lot of talk about how to harmonize uh, progress so both sides can move forward sure. pretty much independently. But this is not a great moment in the broader relationship. I mean, Obama and, and, and she had a you know, good early meeting at Sunnydale, um, Sunnylands rather, but it's, it's been tough. And we've got the disputes over human rights, over mm -hmm. cybersecurity, over security in the South and East China Sea. We've got the debates over whose trade pact is yeah. going to win out between the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is based largely on, on, on a U.S.-centric um, uh, system, and the Regional uh, Comprehensive Economic Partnership, which is kind of China's semi-overlapping alternative. So there are a lot of sharp elbows being thrown. 
And the more nationalist fringe of the Chinese press has really read the U.S. Olympics, I sorry, the U.S. elections as a repudiation of Obama or at least a weakening of Obama. So yeah. they think they're now dealing with somebody who probably can't deliver. A lame duck almost. They've used, they've adopted that term, yeah. <laughs> Barry, also, as Jacques kind of mentioned before, part of this is also some of the other countries that could potentially be a big help in this, Russia being one, India being another. Unfortunately for the United States, at least in the case of Russia, you have Vladimir Putin who has basically dispatched any idea that uh, that this will, you know, he, he has lost any stock in the in the research in this at all. So from that perspective, Russia is almost, in some respects, at least right now, a lost cause, is it not? Yes, absolutely. I think India is a is a great opportunity. Um, there's still um, billions of people using stoves that are um, highly polluting indoors, and uh, also creating a lot of greenhouse gases. So. Uh, this Jacques sort of mentioned this idea of leapfrogging some of the technology. Um, not, you know, we all know that in Africa they're not putting down wires for telephones; they're just going straight to cell phones. Yeah. And uh, there's opportunities with solar energy and wind energy in these uh, developing countries. One eight four four Wharton. One eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is number. If you have a question or comment, John is joining us from San Diego, California. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, a great, great, uh, great conversation. Great point. Uh, unfortunately, the, mo- the majority of the media have not uh, really had a lot of uh, in-depth discussion on. Uh, uh, we keep uh, talking about uh, uh, global warming, but we don't. Uh, we don't re- really specifically talk about what, what are the countries that are the largest pollutants in the world. Yeah. And definitely, by far, uh, China is is by far the greatest pollutant in the world. I mean, I think India is following in the in those footsteps. But let's let's think. Uh, talk I mean, since uh, your your point now on China, I'd like like to get your feedback on on some of these these areas. Um, so 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 we we keep referring to China and um, uh, and the relationship with the United States and how we're pressuring them on on uh, on being more more uh, uh, open about their their current uh, current uh, uh, pollution <clears throat> issue, but. We haven't really discussed the fact that they they are also uh, doing that against their neighbors. So it's not just yeah. against the United States. Um, they're, they're causing. I mean, their, their relationship with Africa is to uh, is to take the natural resources that Africa has because they've pretty much uh, destroyed their own natural resources. So I'd like I'd like you know, to, to expand on that a little bit. And um, and and I think uh, I think we, we would all agree that our our current government has. Not, not not to be too political on it, but our current government under Obama has been a disastrous um, relationship with with China. I mean, there there hasn't been any really productive. Um, you look at you look at uh, uh, any any advancement in this government that talked about uh, global warming well, in, in just about every speech, and how yeah. much have we actually done in global warming? All right, uh, thanks, John uh, Barry. I'll start with you. Obviously. Uh, uh, he's getting on to the point about about, about India and China and, and all of the levels yeah. of fossil fuels that uh, that they use. He didn't get too political, by the way. Not too political. Yeah. <laughs> one uh, one really interesting point is that the pollution from China makes it all the way to the United States. The West Coast of the United States is having a hard time meeting their ozone standard in California because of the pollution that's traveling across the the Atlantic, mm-hmm. sorry, the Pacific, and then our pollution. Is traveling across the Atlantic to 
to Northern Europe. So uh, it's definitely um, one atmosphere, and CO2 is even worse because it stays in the atmosphere for a long time. So uh, the caller's right that we have to, <clears throat> the president really has to talk to the Chinese about our concerns about climate change and the the Chinese have to try and do their part. And, and just from a geographic perspective, Jacques, I would think that not only would you, would the United States be talking to, to China, but I would think Japan would be doing so as well because they're they're right there as well. Yeah, and it sort of depends on the kind of pollution we're talking about. Yeah. So a lot of the you know a lot of the pollution it does essentially travel as a cloud, right? Yeah. And the, the places downwind from China include Japan and Korea in particular. It does, some of it does reach the West Coast, and Hong Kong, where where air quality has yeah. deteriorated very badly. Um, so there's that. But if we're talking greenhouse uh, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, you know that hits everybody, and yeah. I mean, it hits countries with which China has tried to uh, create some degree of diplomatic solidarity. I mean, it's really a developing country problem. Uh, and although China-India relations are kind of dicey, um, many of the poorer countries around the world that China tries to uh, position itself as a leader of um, are among those most affected by climate change. So China's got a real a real diplomatic problem there. Sure. But I think it's smaller than its domestic problem where the middle class and even people below the middle class are getting quite angry about um, the uh, the joke that, you know, don't breathe anything you can't see, uh, which has become <laughs> the rule in Chinese cities. <laughs> that used to be the rule in Los Angeles a few years ago. John, thanks very much for the call. Barry, uh, why is it that, uh, from what you're seeing and what, what you've read, that Vladimir Putin just has this absolute disbelief that that this is going on? He doesn't listen to his scientists. There's very good scientists in Russia. Uh, I think he is, this, this, this is a very good question. Why are people threatened by the idea that um, we're having an impact on um, our climate? And Jacques might have some better insights than I do on this. I have no insights into Putin. <laughs> <laughs> That's well played. Uh, let me ask you about, about this, the cap and trade plan. Uh, and basically exactly, Jacques, what it is, what it, what it basically does, how it all works. Maybe you can go into a little bit more. Well, in China, at this point, it's been still pretty much in its infancy. They have a variety of, of um, trial uh, sites in, in five cities and two provinces. Uh, but a lot of the details really remain to work, be worked out. Now, mm -hmm. the good news in this is that many major uh, legal reforms and policy reforms uh, implemented by law in China have come through these test points. Uh, but uh, you know, as Barry can certainly go into, the devil is in the details on this. How, yeah. do you, how do you set the permissible levels? That hasn't been worked out. Sure. Uh, how do you price the trading? Um, and how do you deal with uh, the possibility that people will game this? So one, one thing we've seen before in, in one of the flaws of the Chinese method of doing test points is when it becomes clear what the policy is going to be, often it's a reduction from baseline. So we saw this sure. in tax reform. We saw this in the, uh, in the uh, fluorocarbon releases, where basically if you know the deadline's coming, you, know, you jack up the, uh, the baseline and then claim to depart from sure, that. So yeah. there's a lot yeah. of slippage that may still happen ahead. You know, it's great that they're doing it, uh, but it's way too early to know how ambitious it's going to be and how effectively implemented it will be once they adopt it. Is there a way to be able to put pressure on China through political means, through trade means, whatever it might be? to be able to bring them to the table. And, and obviously, if they're making changes, great, but even to make more changes? 
Uh, you can try. I think it's yeah. it's not a great climate for it right now. The, the you know, any Chinese leader is more concerned about things domestically than internationally, and that's sure. sort of the good news is there's domestic pressure uh, because of pollution and because of they 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 do have scientists whom they do believe yeah. uh, that climate change is real and that it's going to have big impacts on China. So although they're under pressure to keep the growth rates up, they also know they've got a long term problem. They are thinking long term, uh, and and so they really are trying to move. Uh, but in terms of external pressure, it's just a bad moment. There's a perception that the U.S. is politically weak. Obama's yeah. weak in terms of getting the U.S. to deliver on any promises. And again, the other BRICS countries aren't really exerting much leadership or even followership on this, again, with the exception of Brazil. And so just the constellation uh, just is not there. And, and China sent some kind of distressing signals. The good news is climate change is supposed to be high on the Xi-Obama bilateral summit to follow APEC this week. Yeah. The bad news is, you know, Copenhagen, they kind of dissed Obama. Yeah, uh, and, right, yeah. And at the UN Climate Summit, the sort of run-up to um, to the sort of prequel to Paris next year, uh, they didn't send anybody high level. Most heads of states went. China sent a vice premier, who's high, but you know, top several people in the country, but not, not Xi Jinping. Not the guy. No. Uh, Barry, you got about 30 seconds. What do you think we're going to see out of all of this? I think that the, uh, Jacques is correct. The political um, will is not there right now. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to probably end up doing nothing that the, the current Congress is uh, not interested in climate change. So I think we got two years of more waiting. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.